Good morning again. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 12. If you're, if you're visiting us this morning, uh, we, we welcome you uh, here to South Paris Baptist Church. We've been traveling through the Gospel of Mark for some time now, one passage after another, and now we've arrived at the end of chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. The next two weeks, I'm planning on taking a break from Mark in order to address a couple of other things that are important, and then we'll have guest preachers for a few weeks and then return to the Gospel of Mark chapter 13 on September 12th. And the plan is, Lord willing, to, from September 12th to November 21st to complete our journey through this Gospel. So, Let me go ahead and read Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. Holy Scripture says, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is God's holy word, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would indeed open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to understand what you are saying through this Scripture. Pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts. Show us what you want us to see and transform our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you look at verse 34, at the very end of verse 34, you'll notice that it says, and after that no one dared to ask him any more questions. In the, in the previous passages, people have been coming up to Jesus and asking him questions. In many cases, the motivation behind those questions was to, was to trap him in his words, to get him to say something that they could use against him. Well, as verse 34 comes to an end, their questioning of Jesus has come to an end, and now 
Jesus asks a question in verse 35, and now Jesus is the one who is initiating and teaching us. The, the, the first passage there in verses 35 to 37, Jesus is talking about his identity. We know, if we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, we know that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one anointed by God to be the king over the universe. And he's, he's trying to address a deficiency in people's understanding of who the Messiah is. And so he asks this question, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. The, these scribes, teachers of the law, professional theologians, probably drawing upon what the Old Testament reveals, they, they communicated to the people that the, the Messiah would be the son of David. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll understand where that idea comes from. In the book of 2 Samuel, the Lord promised to David that he would always have a descendant on on the throne. And in the book of Isaiah, chapters 9 and 11, where the, the prophet Isaiah is looking forward to a day when someone would come and sit on David's throne and rule the nations in peace and righteousness. So there was this understanding that the Messiah would be the son of David, a descendant of David who would sit on David's throne reigning over the people of Israel. And and the scribes were right in, in, in teaching this. When the gospel of Matthew begins, how does it begin? The the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary in Luke chapter 1, the angel told her that that this Jesus, her, her son, would sit on David's throne forever and ever. So G- the Messiah is the son of David. But here's the thing that Jesus is, is getting at, is that if, if your understanding of Jesus, the Messiah, is limited to his humanity, then your understanding of him is deficient. The Messiah is not merely David's son. The Messiah is not merely a human son. The Messiah is not merely a human king. He is not less than the son of David, but he is more. He is not less than the heir to David's throne, but he is more. And this is what Jesus wants the people to be thinking about because they understand, well, some of them understand that he's the son of David. Do you remember the the blind man at the end of chapter 10, verse 47? He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then when Jesus entered into the holy city, on Palm Sunday, the, the crowds were, were crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And then the children in the temple courts were, 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 were crying out praise to the Son of David. And, and Jesus accepted that praise because He is the Son of David, but He's more. And so, He goes to Psalm 110. In Mark 12, 36, it says that David himself, in the Holy Spirit... so. The Holy Spirit 
was involved in shining the light of reality upon the Messiahship to King David. King David wrote a lot of Psalms, and here the Holy Spirit gave him particular insight into the identity of the Messiah. It says, the Lord, this is David writing the Psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? I think you should turn to Psalm 110 because it'll be really helpful for you to see what point Jesus is making here. If if you're looking at Psalm 110... It begins, the Lord, and hopefully your Bible shows the first word, Lord, all in caps. Okay? That's, uh, that means that it's translating the word Yahweh. The Lord says to my Lord, the second occurrence of Lord is not in caps, it's lowercase. It's the word Adonai. It means master or Lord. So, Yahweh says to my Lord. Yahweh says to my Adonai. Yahweh says to my Master, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so the the, the question is, who is this Adonai, this Lord, this Master that David is referring to? It's obviously someone other than Yahweh, the the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who redeemed the children of Israel and made them His very own covenant people. Now the, the God of Israel is speaking to someone else. And the, what Jesus is drawing, drawing up on here is that this Adonai figure, this one that David calls my Lord, is referring to the Messiah. So this is Yahweh speaking to the the Lord Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a majestic passage. I want to go through and read it because it helps to see the, the glory of this person that David is referring to. In verse 2, David is speaking to Adonai, to the Messiah. He says, The Lord, Yahweh, sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then in verse 5, David is speaking to Yahweh about Adonai, about the Messiah. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Who, who is this? Who is this Adonai? He, he is exalted as king and ruler at Yahweh's right hand. He is an everlasting priest after the order of Melchizedek, which takes us back to Genesis chapter 14. You don't need to turn there, but the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and he was the king of a place called Salem. 
which means peace. So, so Adonai is the high king and the royal priest who sits at Yahweh's right hand and who rules over the kingdom of righteousness and peace. Adonai, the Messiah, is the conqueror who executes judgment over the whole world and especially on the rulers of the earth. It reminds us of Psalm 2. The end of Psalm 2 issued a warning to the rulers of the earth that they should worship the Lord and that they should kiss and do homage to the Son, to the Anointed One, to the Messiah, lest He come in anger and judge them. Well, that's what's happening in Psalm 110. All of these rulers in view here did not take refuge in the Messiah, did not do homage to the Son, and now they are destroyed. So, do you understand what Jesus is doing? He's saying, yes, a passage like 2 Samuel 7 or Isaiah chapter 9 and 11 would, would get you thinking that the Messiah is the son of David. But a passage like Psalm 110 tells you, wait a minute. He is more than the son of David. How, how is it that David refers to one of his descendants, one of his sons, who by the Holy Spirit he sees prophetically enthroned at the right hand of Yahweh. How how is it that David sees his descendant on the throne and he doesn't see him as an equal? He doesn't see him as an equal who is sitting on his throne over Israel. Instead, he sees this descendant as someone greater than him at Yahweh's right hand, ruling over the whole universe? That's the question Jesus is asking. And He doesn't answer it. He, he, he's just, just trying to get you thinking about, do, do you really know who Jesus is? That's, a, that's been at the, at the heartbeat of this entire gospel. Right? Jesus is in the temple in Mark chapter 1, casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the people are like, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands the unclean spirits and they obey Him. And then you turn a few pages to Mark chapter 4 and the disciples just experience Jesus calming the sea. And they say, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey Him. And then in Mark chapter 8, Jesus said to His disciples, who do people say that I am? And they reported on the answer. And then He said, who do you say that I am? This is, the, this is the crucial issue. Verse 34, in verse 34 of Mark 12, Jesus had told the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. The key to entering the kingdom of God is knowing who Jesus, the Messiah, is and entrusting yourself to Him. So, We need the whole picture. We need all of Scripture to give us the whole picture of who Jesus is. Yes, the Messiah is David's son according to his humanity. But the Messiah is greater than David. He's Lord over David. In fact, the Messiah is God's beloved son, as we've seen three times in the Gospel of Mark. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Yahweh God has appointed his son as high king, high priest, and high judge over the whole universe. 
David calls him my Lord. And the question is, do you call the Messiah my Lord? Let's go on to verses 38 to 40. By the way, I should have given you my heading for uh, verses 35 to 37 because I'm kind of, there's a theme here of more than meets the eye. That's the sermon title. So my summary for verses 35 to 37 is that Jesus is far more than a human son. And now as we come to verses 38 to 40, here's my summary for these verses. The scribes are far less than they appear to be. We met one more honorable scribe in the, in the, in the previous passage, uh, verses 28 through 34, that the scribe who is interacting with Jesus there seemed to be really earnest. But in general, the scribes, these religious figures, teachers, theologians, professional religionists, Jesus had some really harsh words to say about them. What are they about? They're about the long robes and the greetings and the best seats and the places of honor. They, they like to appear important. They like it when, as they're walking along, people would stand in honor because the scribes were, were held in very high regard by the people. They wanted to be publicly recognized and seen as important. If, if, if they were in the synagogue, they wanted to be up front where everyone could, everyone could see them. Everyone could see how important they were. The master of ceremonies, the ones who represent God. If there was a feast, they wanted to be at the, at the head table or at least as close to the head table as they could get so that people could see how important they were. They, they, they craved affirmation and applause. And if, if you wonder to yourself, boy, how, how, could, how, could, how could religious people who are supposed to represent God crave applause? I mean, look, at, look into your own heart. The, the, the sinful human condition is to crave applause and affirmation and praise from other people. A, a miracle has to take place in your heart to free you from that. And some people take a secular path to self-promotion, and some people take a religious path to self-promotion. They're both really bad. These scribes also it says in verse 40, they devoured widows' houses. We're not told exactly how they did that. Different possibilities have been proposed. Perhaps they, were, they served as, a, as an agent of a widow's estate as she was older and vulnerable and needed the care of a younger man to oversee her estate. Or maybe these scribes were often dependent on, on hospitality, and so maybe they, they really overdid their welcome and manipulated the, their circumstances in order to 
get as much as they possibly could out of these, out of these widows. And then finally, Jesus says that for a pretense, they make long prayers. I mean, the, 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 only, thing, the only thing worse than making yourself the center of attention is to bring God into it and use Him to make yourself the center of attention. Look at how godly I am. Look at how pious I am. Look at how close I am to God while in your heart you're just, you want all the attention on you. I want you to think about how the scribes profoundly disobeyed the great commandment that Jesus just got done talking about in verse 30. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. They should have lived with the profound awareness that God and God alone gets center stage. And God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father has seen fit to, to, bring his, uh, to, to, to honor His Son who shares center stage with Him. Behold, my son, listen to him. With him I am well pleased. I will put every enemy under your feet, he says, concerning his son. And our response is, to, is, is love, humility, worship, obedience. And then the overflow of our fellowship with the Father and Son should be love for other people, which Jesus says is the second most important commandment. But the scribes were the total opposite. They wanted center stage. They were the producer and star performers in their own show, and they wanted a large audience to stand in awe of them. They wanted applause. So I want to make one brief application out of verses 38 to 40. It's very simple, but we need this reminder constantly. Humble yourself because this is not your show. You are a witness, okay? You are supposed to be a witness to the main attraction. You are not the main attraction. And you betray the main attraction if you seek to redirect attention to yourself as if it's all about you. Your attitude should be the same as John the Baptist. They came to John the Baptist and said, all of your disciples, they're leaving you and they're going over to follow Jesus. And John the Baptist thought that was wonderful. He said, I must decrease. He must increase. So, no ostentatious dress, but simple clothing. No craving greetings, but consider others more important than yourselves. And let greetings be about warm brotherly love, not about reinforcing some pecking order. Not the best seats, not the places of honor, but the ordinary seats where ordinary people sit. Assume that you are ordinary. Remember James and John a few chapters ago. Remember how they, they requested the best seat and the second best seat in Jesus' kingdom administration. Let us sit at your right hand and at your left. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Make yourself last. Make yourself servant of all. 
not devouring the vulnerable, but loving orphans and widows in their distress. Pour out your resources for the vulnerable. Don't try to enrich yourself at their expense. Not playing your prayers to a human audience, but earnestly crying out to the Lord God. No fanfare, no spotlight, no selfish ambition, no show, no press release, no award ceremony. Just gratitude and amazement that God has called you to be part of His story, to be part of His family, to be part of His mission, to be part of His plan. You get to be a participant in the grand drama, and it is enough to be there as a participant, as a witness, as a reflector. Eternity will reveal how much was done for show. Eternity will reveal how much was done to be seen. Eternity will reveal how many prayers were prayed as a staged public performance. But as for you and me, we should dress and speak and sit and love and pray as those who know that God the Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, they are the main attraction, and we are called to be there as a testimony and a witness. Finally, we come to verses 41 to 44, where Jesus seizes a teachable moment with His disciples. My summary for these four verses is, the poor widow gives far more than the rich people give. Jesus is observing people put money into the offering box in the temple. And he sees a lot of rich people come up and they have more valuable coins and they put it into the offering box. And then he sees a poor widow come and put in two small copper coins, these copper coins called lepta, which together make a lot of our Bibles say a penny, or your, your translation might say a pence or a cent or something like that. That's just trying to give you the general idea. In fact, uh, the, the Greek word that's translated here refers to the Latin coin called the quadrants, which is about 164th of a denarius. A denarius is a day, uh, about a day's wage for a laborer. So if you work Eight hours at $15 an hour, that's $120, okay? One-sixty-fourth of that is $1.88, okay? It's not much. That's, that's the idea. She, you could think of it like that. She put, a, she put $1.88 into the offering box. Other people, they're putting in 60 bucks, 120 bucks, 250 bucks. She put in $1.88, and Jesus says, to his disciples. He calls his disciples, his students, to himself. He's like, I got a teachable moment for you guys. I want you to understand that she put more into the offering box than they did. How is that possible? Well, Jesus reflects on the fact that the rich, they, they, they gave out of their abundance. But this poor widow gave out of her 
poverty. And that teaches us a very important lesson. God isn't focused on the gift. God God isn't measuring the gift on the basis of its monetary value, on, on the basis of how it stacks up against other gifts or how much of the budget it meets. God is looking at the heart of the giver. He, he, he's, he's looking to see faith and warm devotion and willingness to sacrifice in the heart of the giver. That's what he's focused on. That's how he measures the true value of a gift, by the, the heart and the love and the sacrifice that is behind the gift. I mean, think about it. If you are the wardens of the temple or overseeing some other not-for-profit organization, whose donations do you seek? Which patrons do you covet? Whose names do you write on that? You've probably all seen this somewhere. You've got this big wall of donors. Gold-level donors, silver-level donors, bronze-level donors, honorable mentions. $1.88, sorry, you didn't make the cut. But the kingdom of God does not operate on worldly principles. I mean, really, honestly, who would you rather have show up in church? A rich man who out of his abundance can fund on his own a 20% increase in the budget or 20 poor widows who each have $1.88, but they're all in. They'll give you everything they have. They'll give you their heart, their prayers, their love, and their $1.88. What would you rather have? When you get right down to it, do you, know what the, do you know what the poor widow put into the offering plate? Herself. Herself. Out of her poverty, she put in everything she had. All she had to live on. Does that remind you of anything? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. Ultimately, God isn't looking for coins in the offering plate. He's looking for you in the offering plate. Do you understand? Now, some, someone out there might be thinking, okay, okay, what are the, what are the implications of this for how, how much I should actually give? This passage is not about that. This passage is not about dollar amounts or percentages or anything like that. God wants your heart. Paul told the Corinthians that he wanted them, not their stuff. And so let this this passage challenge you. The scribes 
the scribes were, were, were all in it for themselves. And do you know what they did? They devoured widows' houses. They tried to take everything for themselves. And God is looking for that humble soul who will give everything to him because she trusts him, because she values his kingdom, because she's totally and completely his. So let this, let this passage challenge you to be all in, to set apart your heart for the Lord today, to take the next step of obedience today as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brief summary of this passage. True disciples know who Jesus is. He's not only a human son, he's the son of God. He's the high priest who loved us and laid down his life for us. True disciples are not impressed with themselves. There is nothing more insane and wicked than to come to the Lord's table impressed with yourself impressed at your righteousness, impressed at your loveliness, impressed at your contributions. We, we, we come to the Lord's table. We come to the Lord as beggars. We come empty-handed. We have nothing to offer Him except our brokenness and our sinfulness and our need. And he, he laid down his life in order to meet your need, to forgive your sin, to reconcile you to God, to make you a part of his family. Finally, in response to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave everything, true disciples learn to give everything that they are and have in response to the greatest gift that Jesus gave. True disciples know who Jesus is. They are not impressed with themselves and they give everything they have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this faithful word of Scripture that is able to strengthen us and fortify us and get us thinking and valuing in the right way. Father, we pray that you would so transform our minds that we would really know and understand your thoughts. That we would know and understand the way that you value things. I pray for everyone in here that we would freely and willingly offer ourselves to you. Standing in awe of the greatest gift that you so loved the world, that you gave your only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, we're going to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together.
South Paris Baptist Church does not require that you be a member of our church in order to come to this table, but the Lord Jesus Christ requires that you be a member of His family in order to come to this table. And so if you are trusting in Jesus and seeking to walk in fellowship with Him, then we invite you to come and partake of this, of this holy meal. And I just want you to consider, just bridging off of our sermon passage just a little bit, the greatest spectacle in the world to behold is not, some, not something flashy. It's not something worldly. It's not the kind of thing that you see on television. The greatest spectacle in the world to behold is the Savior dying on a cross for the sins of His people. The Lord of glory, we read about Him in Psalm 110. The majestic and transcendent Lord of glory, not considering His equality with God something to be used for His own advantage, but rather seeing His own riches as an opportunity to meet the needs of the poor and the bankrupt and the hungry like you and like me.